Last week we started to look at the idea of um, the seven, the structure that underlies the building of the world, which is the seven mystical points or levels of energy, whatever you want to call them, that are the foundations on which the mystical and physical worlds are built. Since we're going through the 49 days now, which are the stages, they're really the seven times seven levels that the world's built on, and therefore the world of the inner the personality is also built on these seven, or these 49, actually seven levels. 49 is just the fact that we work through each seven within each seven seven weeks, but each week has seven days where we choose to work on that particular subsection of that particular area. Since we began that process last week, tonight is the, this is the second week of the sphere of those seven, those patterns, groupings of seven. Tonight happens to be the tenth night of the Omer, which is the third of the second set, which means the perfection or the balance, let's say, within the second set of qualities, the second set being the area that defines self-discipline or control of the personality, let's say, concept of limitations. So we began last week to look at the concept of what these seven things are, what exactly is this idea of a pattern, and what are the seven things, or actually the ten things that we said mystically, but let's keep it simple, let's look at the seven things that are explicit in the world, not so much those that are behind the scenes. And we began to look in theory at the structure. Let's see if we can't this week look at some application of that structure in terms of the personality. That means we try to look at the idea that there has to be a beginning, there's a mystical beginning, there's an idea of going out or what's called gracious or some kind of wisdom that begins any process. Last week we talked about what's called chesed, which is the, the beginning of any relationship or the beginning of any movement of the personality at all. Then we said there's a second point that is called limitation or discipline. That's the week we're going through now. We said that the third is a concept of balance, if you remember correctly. The fourth, fifth, and sixth, we said, was simply a reflection of the first three. Who was not here last week? Who wasn't here? Where were you last week? <laughs> What's more worrying is that there were the same number of people last week. And you see that that means <laughs> the Shilas, what's happened to them? <laughs> That's too heavy, right? Yeah. We said that the first three always define, and even if you look at the mystical level inside the head, those three always define the same process except in the hidden world. You just can't see them while I'm thinking about them. Whereas when they project into the body, you can see. But all you see when you watch what the body does is you realize what happened in the world of the mind. Actually the same thing. Those are the first three. The second three are really a reflection of these, how they project themselves into the world. The fourth, the fourth of these seven points is simply the first point reflected in output. In other words, the first point, which is the beginning of any process, the fourth point reflects. It's two triangles, if you like. The second triangle is just a reflection of the first. The fourth point, which corresponds to the first, are you with me? Not even sure. Is simply the beginning of a process, but outside of myself. Not just what I do, but how I begin to reproduce my inner being in the world, let's say. 
The fifth is how that comes to fruition, or if you like, it's the limitation or discipline relative to the fourth point. The sixth one is the totality of all of them, which is a revision of all six, and an ordering of them. And the seventh is the new thing that you have on the outside, which is what we've been working for all along, which is really the vessel that it contains all of them, and can be stated in other ways. We, we tried to go through this last time, and if you weren't here, we just went through it now. These are not things that can be grasped at first sight or first hearing. These are the deepest levels that we can grasp about the structure of the world and only begin to make sense as you slowly have experience of them and see them reflect themselves in every aspect of the world. If you happen to have ever studied medicine or biology, you'll have seen them in your discovery of the human body. You'll see them if you study the mind reflected in the process that the mind has to go through in any, in any of its applications. And you actually will see it everywhere. I thought this week we could actually we could take an example of the structure of personality. We're supposed to speak this evening about pathways to personal growth, I think is what the pastor said, which means we have to somehow connect the subject you know, <laughs> to the idea of personality growth. But I think it's not that difficult. Since we're going through the structure of process, of development, the seven things on which everything's built, we must be able to connect it to how the personality is built or how the mind works, let's say. So let's see if we can do it. And what the obvious place to look is, if you look in the Mishnah, you see when the Mishnah wants to, there are very few places, since we're talking here about Kabbalistic secrets, you've obviously realized there are very few places that you'll find it. Since these things are secret, obviously, you have to look far to find a hint. And the place we have the hint of these numbers is an unusual place. It happens to be in the Mishnah in Pekavos. And there, which is Ethics of the Fathers. Speaker of us is the chapters that describe how you should work on yourself and how you should develop your personality and refine yourself. It sounds like, sounds like superficial good advice. But hidden in the, behind the words, between the lines of this superficial good advice, are the deepest secrets of the world. Particularly here. It's a unique thing that the Chazal have a way of saying things in a way that is so disarmingly simple that you certainly wouldn't notice that anything deeper is going on. And they do that deliberately to keep out those who should be kept out and only those with a sensitivity to see what's happening between the lines will be able to see what's happening. So here you have a group of statements that count up things in the world. And the chapter begins with ten things the world was created and the ten generations from Antoneach that counts up generations, ten ordeals that Abraham Abinu had, ten miracles that happened in certain places, ten others. Now a whole list of numbers ten things that were created on Shabbos between, just between Friday and Shabbos. Then it counts up things that are counted in sevens. Then it counts things in fours and so forth and so on. This is where the mystical structure is defined. Of course, it doesn't talk in mystical language. The mystical wisdom, which is the root of all wisdom, <coughs> is always hidden. And therefore here it talks, as I said, about seemingly very mundane things. Let's choose, since we're dealing now with the structure of sevens, it's all the same thing. All, as I tried to explain last week, all sevens really are manifest in ten and they manifest in twelve and thirteen and forty-nine and actually it's all just a manifestation of the three or the two or really the ultimate oneness of the world just different ways of expressing the same thing but since we're working on it now at a level of seven or seven within seven what does the Mishnah say about seven? very interesting the Mishnah says like this and it happens to be that here where the Mishnah talks about the counting of seven it talks about the personality it talks about the personality of a person who's developed wisdom a person who has developed some kind of inner knowledge and a person who hasn't developed any inner knowledge. A person who never develops the inner wisdom, the Chazals say awesome things about such a person. 
That means if a person goes through these seven stages and he's constantly going through them in such a way that the personality is being built, then a person achieves what's called wisdom, a person achieves what's called das. Das means the inner connection of all the parts of the personality, which is what a person's put here to do, actually. We'll try and explain it. A person who doesn't achieve inner wisdom, there are frightening things that it says in Chazal about such a person. A person who lives superficially, flitting from one thing to another, without ever building that depth, which is what makes us different from a machine or from an animal. So there it says in Chazal, this das, this inner connection between aspects of wisdom, there is a place in Chazal that says, that means somebody who has this has everything, somebody who doesn't have this, what does he have? Meaning that this is everything. There's a place even in Chazal that says that it says, Amazing thing. Somebody who doesn't have inner wisdom, it's forbidden to have mercy on such a person. Understand what this means? It's much deeper as well because Racham is from the Rachamim, which is connected to the Das, but superficially you see at least that it's frightening. So there's nothing more important than this. A person wants to start working in the world and producing, the first thing you have to work on is yourself. So unless you can understand some idea, vaguely at least, about the structure of what it is that you have inwardly, so that instead of having inside just an awful hollow echo whenever you think or try to, you should be having inside an ordered structure that is self-generating and self-sustaining so that the more you progress in spiritual sensitivity, the more content is built and it should happen exponentially. And the content should always be refining the vessels. Let's see what it says. Let's read the words and see how difficult they are to understand. And then perhaps we can try and spend the next short while together trying a little bit to understand what I once heard from my Rebbe about this particular Mishnah. It says like this, Shiva Dvarim Let's understand the words. Shiva Dvarim Begoylem Shiva Very interesting. There are seven things that you find in a person who's called a Goylem. A Goylem is a person who is a person who is unconstructed. That means a Goylem. A Goylem. Chomer Golem in Hebrew. Chomer Golem means raw material. That's what Golem means. It means the material is there, but it's raw, it's unworked material. So a person is called a Goylem. That means technically, I mean, technically it means that he has seven characteristics, which mean that these seven characteristics are not, they are such characteristics that deny the opportunity or the possibility of interconnecting his inner elements, the seven elements of his inner being, and that leaves him raw material. Even though he's lived a life of experience, and he has all seven pieces, and they may even be intact, but he's still called what's called the Golem. Veshiva Bechachem, and there are seven things in a wise person. Chachem doesn't mean a wise person in the Western sense, it means somebody who has what's called Chachma. We'll try to explain what this means a little bit. Chachem, a wise person, has the following seven, and it lists them. Very, you notice the structure of the Mishnah. Very, listen just to the outside structure of the Mishnah. If you, we're talking here at all... All we want to discuss this evening is structures. All we want to talk about, we're talking about the seven points. We started last week, you see already it chased away half the people. <laughs> it obviously wasn't clear enough. So we're trying this, what we're trying this week, just one simple exercise in trying to make the structure a little clearer. Hopefully by making it more practical, understand it a little bit better. What's the structure of the statement that teaches you about the structure? It goes like this, that there are seven things in a person who does not have any interconnection. There are seven things in a person who is wise. Then the Mishnah lists the seven things that a wise person has. You follow the order? starts with a person who doesn't have them, and then a person who does. Then when it starts to list them, it deals with what it left off with, namely the person who does, and it lists the positive qualities. And then at the end it says, And the opposite in one who doesn't have these things, it doesn't list them, it goes the other way around. You hear the structure? starts off not with the person of wisdom, but with the person of lack of wisdom. That's always the light comes out of the darkness. You start always with darkness. The mission is telling you clearly here, so much to talk about, we won't even begin it this evening. The Mishnah tells you here that you cannot ever achieve the state of wisdom unless you've been through the unwise, unless you've fallen, 
unless you've had these hollow elements within you unconnected, yes, and ununderstood, misunderstood, you could never get to wisdom. So the structure is like this. There are seven things that speak of lack of wisdom. Then there are seven things that are the elements of wisdom, and they must be in that order. What are they? It lists the elements of wisdom, and simply states that the opposite are the ones that are lacking in a person who doesn't have these. The structure is clear. What are the seven things? Listen well. Chacham, a person who has this inner content, a person who is working on himself, who is developing himself in an organized fashion. First of all, a person like this does not speak in the presence of people who are greater than he or she. You hear that? Which really translated means in wisdom or in, in number, but it means here in age probably. It means this. The first mark of wisdom, the first hallmark of wisdom, is that somebody who has this quality doesn't speak in front of someone who is greater than he. He keeps silent. One. Two. doesn't interrupt someone else. Three, this person does not make answer in a hasty fashion. That means when he's asked a question, this person does not answer hastily. Next, he asks appropriately. When, he's questions, when he asks a question, the question is appropriate. Literally it means somebody who asks a question in the nature of the subject that's been discussed. When you're discussing a certain topic with him, he will ask you a question that's a cogent, relevant question, not a question that's unconnected to what's been happening. Because it doesn't only mean that the person doesn't psychotically ask you something that's completely unconnected with the discussion. We're not talking here about the lowest level. We're talking here, this mission is relevant even to people who are working very seriously on themselves. That means even at a very refined level, it means that when a subject is under discussion, the question that the person asks will be the ideal and perfect question that needs to be asked at that time. To elucidate the next step in the process of development. We'll try and explain it more. Next, Meshir Ka'alacha, this person answers appropriately. He asks a question appropriately, that means what is appropriate or relevant to the subject, and he answers Ka'alacha, which means a fitting and appropriate answer. Next, this person says on the first thing the first, and on the last last, that means he says things in order. That's the sixth of them. The one that contains all of them. He says what comes first, first, and what comes last, last. That means he has an... Try and explain it more, but at least, that superficially at least, he has an organized mind. That means organized logically, but much more deep as well. It means he has organized faculties of his personality, that they work in sequence. He's not out of control. And finally, on that which a person didn't hear, he says, I never heard. You hear that? Things that this person never heard, he says, I never heard. Excuse me, that's, and the final one, is this person admits to the truth. That's the seventh. Admits to the truth. And finally, the opposite are the qualities of someone who doesn't have any inner content. Now, what exactly is going on here? What exactly is the connection between the, these things sound like, in the way of Chazal, they sound like, you know, a, an elderly grandfather. You know, he's giving over the sum total of his experience in the world to a young child, and he's warning him, yes, about the, 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 the rules of life that he picked up from the <coughs> Reader's Digest or someplace, and he's telling him, Reader's Digest is fine, by the way. You have to have some scrap paper in your house. That is, halakhically, halakhically that is, yes, Khashiva people in the Torah world who read it and quote it. One of the last vestiges of relative decency left. That's not our subject tonight. But, that seven in, uh, seemingly unconnected things. A person doesn't speak in front of somebody who's wiser than him. 
He doesn't interrupt his friend. What's the connection between them? He doesn't repeat or he doesn't reply hastily. He doesn't answer a question hastily. He asks relevant questions and he answers appropriate answers. He says things in order, that which comes first, first and last, last. What he doesn't hear, what he never heard, he says, I didn't hear. What does that mean? What he never heard, he says, what are we talking about? What, 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 what did you think was going on here? The person's a liar? What did you expect from this individual? To say that he heard about something he never heard about? And finally, he admits to the truth. What exactly is going on here? Let's see if we can try to understand this man Ghazal, which is a most wonderful and fantastic guide in life. If you want a guide, if you just want to know how to work on yourself and develop your mental and spiritual and personality power, you couldn't do better than put this thing up on your mirror or someplace where you, where you look and see it every day and work on the connection between these things. Let's see if we can try and explain it and make some sense out of it. This discussion depends heavily on the knowledge of the structure that we went into last time. We can't go into it in detail again. You referred to that discussion, you can get it on tape, perhaps, from previous years, we put it into the library. You can look it up yourself. You can need to have a basic idea of the structure, try and bring out some points of the structure, but the details we cannot go into again. But let's see the application of it anyway. But the first thing to know is this, that the basic idea that runs through these things is the fact that these things form a unit. I tried to explain last week that when you deal with seven points that form the structure of the mystical world or the practical world, then the idea is that they are a structure, not seven unrelated things. There nothing could be more important than that. The basic idea, and in fact the mystics say that the only reason that they happen to be seven is to show you that they're connected. The very fact that there are seven of them is a sign, because seven is always an expression of oneness. I hope to understand that maybe a bit better after we've been through it. But that to show you that these things form a oneness, if one's missing, you don't have anything. Put another way, the way we put it last week, try and connect it. We said that Actually, all of them are just qualifications of the first one. What's the first one? The first one is called Chesed. In this case, it's called Chochmah. Wisdom can be started at any point. Wisdom is the first of them. Wisdom is not the first, and then there's something else. Wisdom is everything. Chochmah is everything. Chochmah in, in Gematria, for example, in Hebrew is Chaim. Do you know that? Add up the, yes, if I'm not mistaken, add up the numbers, add up the elements, the letters, the numerical value, numerological value of the letters in the word Chochmah, and it spells Chaim, or Chochom anyway, spells Chaim. We work it out. Because it's life itself. It doesn't just mean to be wise, to know more than the next person. It means the wisdom of life, knowledge of life, not knowledge of some technical irrelevant details. So that's everything there is. The seven, the next six, are just ways that this wisdom manifests itself, or the way that it builds. Ways that they build, that it's built. But what's the first idea? The first idea is that you have seven things that are interconnected. Let's just try and understand this, and then it will be much easier to understand these things and their interconnection. So let's stay, stay together for the next few minutes and try and understand an idea. The basic idea of Torah is that where there's a beginning, there's a Hemshech. That means you have a beginning and you have a continuation. And of course, the idea of the continuation is that it goes to the end. That's the idea. Sounds simple, but that's everything. Where do you see it? You see it everywhere. The word Barashis, for example, in the beginning. The word Barashis, the word that means in the beginning. First of all, there are commentaries who point out there are many, many meanings to the word. But there, there are those who point out that the word brashis means in the beginning. When you talk about the beginning, you're talking about a process. No one would talk about a beginning if it's an isolated thing. If this thing isn't the beginning of a process, it's just one thing that's on its own. It's not the beginning. It's just something. The Torah begins with a word that says in the beginning, so if once you've read the first word, you can't miss the point that you have to go someplace. It's such a simple thing, but it's so obvious and so beautiful. Hmm? People don't think about that. It says in the beginning. In the beginning it means what you're going to hear about now is what was in the beginning. But, but then, then this is the beginning. What's after this? That's up to you. You must continue this process. You see that in so many beautiful ways. The Mephoshim will say that the word Barashis begins with a base. The structure of a Hebrew letter, base. 
You know what it looks like? It has a little tail pointing up, not to forget that. Closed on three sides. It's only open on the side that you have to continue. The word brash is the open side, faces the Hemshech, faces the way the Torah runs. Yes? The base looks like this. So it's open there. What's called the left-hand side, or in Kabbalistic language, is called the north side. It's called the dark side, the evil side. That's where it's open. That's where you must make your correction. If you leave that dark and evil and open, it says, Mitzofen tipatach hara. Yes, from the north will break forth the evil. That's where the enemies will come against the Jewish people in the final generation, it says. From the north side. Tzofun in Hebrew. Tzofun means north and it also means the dark or the hidden side. Tzofun means that which is hidden. Afikoyment, the Pesach side, we call it Tzofun, no? means hidden. The hidden side. That's the side that needs the correction. We'll try and talk about it a little bit. It's very deep ideas. You have a continuation over there. The base is closed on three sides, and that's where you show continuity. The word brashis, really, if you break down the word brashis, actually, you know there are 762 uh, combinations, permutations of the six letters in brashis. The mathematicians can correct me. I might have it wrong. Did you work it out while I was talking? You run it on the computer. There's whatever the number of permutations on. Each of them teaches you what the Torah is saying. Do you know that? Each permutation of the word... Did you know that? Each permutation of the word brashis, reorganizing the letters into each of their possible combinations, teaches you another depth in what the word brashis means. One way you can rearrange the letters is Yashar, Aleph, Beis, Tav. Straight, Yashar, straight, from Aleph to Beis, which is the beginning of process. Aleph isn't process. Aleph is always silent. It doesn't say anything yet. Aleph is the totality, the oneness. Aleph, Beis, is the transition from the mystical, unspoken, hidden beginning into what's manifest, the beginning, and all the way to Tav, the final letter. But could be clearer. Yashar, straight, from the beginning, Aleph, Beis, to the Tav. That's what it is. What are the Jewish people called? The Jewish people, Yisrael. Yisrael, the name of the Jewish people. What does it spell? Look at the word carefully. Yashar Kael, the straight ones of Hashem. Meaning the ones who go straight, they go. They go straight. They start at the beginning, they go to the end. From the beginning of history to the end. From the spiritual negativity or nothingness, confusion, what's called Toyu, the world of broken down elements, the broken world, to the world of construction. And if you think that's accidental, what's the other name of the Jewish people? Yeshurun. You know, we're also called Yeshurun. We're called Yisrael, we're called Yeshurun. Adas Yeshurun. Yeshurun, the word is obvious. It means Yasharnun, straight to the 50th. Last week we discussed the 50th as the transcendent level. Yeshurun means Yasharnun, straight to the 50th. We can't miss it. Many other meanings, but at least that. Before Shim say that the whole process, the whole process of discovering truth in the world is based on a process that goes from the beginning. The word emes, the word emet in Hebrew. It starts with Aleph. It has in the middle the Mem, which is the middle letter of the Aleph base, and it ends with the Taf, which is the final letter. That means the whole concept of truth. And we're talking about the truth here. The whole concept of the truth is that it starts at the beginning, goes through the middle, and ends at the end. That's what the truth is, isn't it? The truth is not the work that you do. The work you do is called Emunah. Emunah means the work that you put into yourself to arrive at the truth. We'll try and talk about it later. But the Emunah is Aleph, Mem, it has the first letter just like MS, it has the Mem, the middle letter just like MS does, but instead of going through to the end, it has only the next letter, the Nun. The Hebrew alphabet goes after Mem comes Nun. In other words, we'll take you from the beginning to the middle, push you just beyond that, that means, and then it's up to you. You now must complete the cycle to the top to spell MS. But the whole thing is, the Chavetz Chaim in one place, and I spend the whole night on the subject, the Chavetz Chaim points out in one place, that it says that Avram Avinu, Abraham, was the man who actually put this into effect in the world. He started off at the beginning, he was the beginning, and he taught continuity. He was the one who taught that you connect, you move from here, and you connect all the elements together. So it says that he went out of the land of Canaan, of Canaan, and he went to, excuse me, he went from Ur-Kazim, from Babel, to Canaan, to Israel. What's the difference between him and his father, who was an idol worshipper, or him and the rest of his family? It says that they stopped at a certain place, and he continued. 
What, in other words, what happened? They started the journey together. The difference between him and everybody else in the world is that they went along the journey, but they ended someplace before the end. He got there. Simple thing, but what does it mean? The pathway of a Jew, the pathway of spiritual growth in the world, is that you're moving along a continuum and you have to get there. Where's there? There is the end point, which means the total realization of everything that you could have done. You dare not finish here without having built that which you were sent here to build, because if you do, you get sent down again. And that's worth avoiding. But the idea is to build what you have to build completely. That's called Emes. You want to look at it a little deeper for those who have a Kabbalistic interest, try and look at it a little deeper. Briefly, maybe it's permitted maybe to talk a little bit about these things. It says that the broken down world is called Tohu. Tohu. It says, There are four different words of breakdown. So the world at the beginning, when Hashem created the world, Hashem created the world in the beginning, and the next passage says, The world was broken down. Tohu means, it says, Adam A person is, uh, let's say, very hard to translate. A person is struck by the disconnectedness of things. It means you stand there unable to connect anything. That's what Toyo means. It means the world was created in such a way that the first thing that came into existence was unconnected material and then it started to let you into secrets. Yes? Let's understand. Let's uh, share a secret together. The first pasuk in the Torah. Let's try and understand this. The first pasuk in the Torah. How many words? Rashis, Baro, Elohim, Es, Hashemayim, Ve'es, Oretz. Seven words. Second pasuk. How many? Fourteen words. Roshim say, Kabbalistic sources say, that you have first the oneness of the seven elements, and then you have the two pathways, the hint at two pathways being revealed. The pathway of seven of darkness, and the pathway of seven of light. There are two elements in the world that make up the totality of the world. Let's look at it deeper. I'm not, I'm not I don't pretend to understand these things. I'll tell you the words. The words for what it's worth. It says that finally a person who works on himself, a person who genuinely does what one is supposed to do here, you sincerely make an effort to cope with the ordeals that come your way. You sincerely try to work on refining yourself. So it says in the end you'll be rewarded with the world that's called Yesh. Yesh. Yesh means is that means you'll be given a world the simple meaning is that you'll enter a world in the next dimension that actually is this world actually isn't isn't actually this world is just passing by that is as you try to grasp it it's slipping away all the time the only thing that's real about this world is what you can extract out of it that's real that's built in another dimension but what's happening here isn't real so it says to give as an inheritance to those who love me my beloved my, those who I'm beloved of yesh a world of yesh. Yesh means the world that is, the real world. And I will fill their storehouses, it says. But anyway, the word yesh. So unfortunately, the Kabbalists say the word yesh equals 310. 310. Why the numbers are exactly what they are, now it has to be understood also. The 310 is made up of two components, 103 and 207. 103 is the side of negativity, actually Kabbalistically as the borderline between the negative world, seen to Tehillim also. If you look through Tehillim, if you ever say Tehillim, 
you'll see that it changes after the, the, the halalukas don't begin until around there. You see, interesting transition between that which comes before that number and that which comes after it. 207 is the gematria in Hebrew Raz. Raz is secret. The Hebrew word Raz adds up to 207 and it means secret, the secret world. Actually, the word light in Hebrew or is 207. It means the world of light, but actually it's a secret light. That is the, I see it, I see it's looking very secret. Just have the other words. Huh? The words, these words affect you, even if you don't, even if we don't understand them. That's the world of light. The world of darkness, that 103, what adds up to 103? Where do you see this entire amazing things? You see, for example, the word Egel. The word Egel, the calf, the golden calf. What happened when the light was being shown in the world? When the light of Torah. Did you ever wonder the golden calf? Egel. First of all, Egel means a circle. Egul means a circle, which we explained last time, is the concept of non-beginning. Circle is only a sign of continuity. It has no point of new beginning. Egel, which, which is the source of evil or negativity in the world, as we explained last time. While the Torah was being given, what's the Torah called in Hebrew? Oiraisa, the world of light. As the world of light was being revealed, at the, at the top of the mountain, at the bottom of the mountain, the Jews were busy with the eagle, the calf. Eagle adds up to 103. Hmm? Add up, eagle, not hard to do the fish. 103, eagle. Always when you see, you look in the Torah, you'll see that whenever there was an experience of light, and conflicting with that experience of light, and trying to kill it, was the experience of darkness, you'll find this number coming up. It says that, I'll give you an example, Yaakov Avin, the father of the Jewish people, right? in that sense, Yaakov. He went back across the river into the world of darkness. You remember? He was camped at night waiting for Esau, his brother, to meet him in battle the next day. You remember? A terrifying experience. What did he do that night? What did he spend the night doing? He struggled with an angel. You remember? He fought with him. He went back over the river at night in the darkness alone. Ultimate experience of loneliness. Lethally dangerous experience. And over the river, it says he fought with the Malach. It says, A man strove with him. But the word actually means caused dust. Avak in Hebrew, no? Yahweh, and it says, Vehelu Avak at Kisar that the struggle that they were engaged in raised dust to the throne of glory, Hashem's throne. The word Avak is 130. Then, in case you think that the Torah is describing, you know, the, the scene, what it was like there, no? Give you a visual image, that's not what's going on. Dust, the Kabbalists explain, I'm not going to go into it now. Dust, what is dust actually? Actually, dust is the result of friction, that's what it is. When things are in conflict, dust is what's for. But these are very, very beautiful and deep ideas. Anyway, you find many times. It says on Harakarmel, for example, when the Jews had a tassel between worshipping Hashem and the idol. You remember the Baal that Eliyahu challenged? You remember the agents, the priests of the Baal? It was an enormous test of the Jew strength. Add up the word Baal in Hebrew. Comes to 102. It's on the borderline. Actually, the word Emunah, if you want to know, comes to 102. Faith, isn't that where faith is? Faith is not on the side of clarity. Faith is in the side of darkness, isn't it? Yeah, maybe we should continue with that. Um, there are not many left who understand these secrets. The words have been given to us. We extract what we can from them. But the idea that underlies all this is that there is a sequence. There are two components to reality. There's the first component of reality that has the elements of distortion or disconnectedness. And then if you continue through that and put them together, then you make sense not only out of what comes next, but even the broken down elements start to make sense. Yes? For example, when it says that 310, 310 is the common, what is yesh? What is the world of, of being? It's the, it's the combination between these. It doesn't say that a person must destroy this world. 
yes, the world of the 103 elements of negativity, and then you'll be left with the world of light. It doesn't say that. You must combine them. You have to use the dark experience so that you pull through into the experience of light, and then what you realize is the whole thing is light in the experience of being. If you want to make it practical, very practical, without being Kabbalistic, when a person goes through life experiences that are shattering, the object is not to get through them, leave them behind and do something else. The object is to extract the Kiddush Hashem out of those things. The object is, yes, the Mephoshim say a most incredible idea, that where you learn this experience is the Megillah of Esther. Because the Megillah is a process of darkness, a description of darkness, isn't it? In the Megillah, Hashem's name is not mentioned, one of the only places, few places, I can only think of two, that Hashem's name isn't mentioned in a book of Tanakh. Yes, in this place Hashem's name isn't mentioned, and all the miracles that happened were all hidden. You didn't see, it doesn't say the sea split. The going out of Egypt was a revealed miracles. But in the Megillah of Esther it was all dark. You didn't see any sea splits, all political events. And in that the Jews saw the end of Hashem. What Hashem say? That that's the Jewish talent. It's taking things that look natural and seeing the supernatural in them. It means taking things that look dark, that look destructive, that look like political events that happened that were geared to destroy the Jewish people, and seeing in them the source of our salvation. So the great, there are great Balei Musa, Mashkichim, who say that what you have to do in your life, you have to write a Megillah of your life. It's the only way. You must write a Megillah. You must take those events that seem meaningless and cruel and tormenting at the time and seem to have no redeeming feature. And now that you stand with hindsight, see what they did for you and how they're connected to the next and the next and that's what you are now. I mean, hopefully you've arrived at something. I'm not talking about if, you, if you're holding in a position where you've been beaten down and beaten down and beaten down by those experiences, then at least you can salvage tracing the pathway that got you here so it won't happen again so you can now truly rebuild from darkness but the ideal situation is to have gone through ordeals that you won and that you lost and after having gone through those ordeals to look back and see how the interconnectedness of those things made you what you are as we pointed out many times the Kabbalists would say that it's the labor pains that brought the child into the world the pains brought the child the pains are not disconnected the pains are the pains of labor it's not that the woman has pains and then she gives birth the pains expel the child into the world it's the contractions that are painful that expel the child that give birth their life to the world you have to look back through your pains and through your difficult experiences and those darknesses and connect those. That's what we're talking about in terms of emotional terms. What have we learned? What have we learned? We've learned that there's a process of what's called tohu, of darkness, of unconnectedness. And after that comes the purpose of the Jewish people. You know, you see it everywhere you look in Torah. I mean, there, there's a passage in Torah that describes the beginning of the world. We discussed it in the first two Psukim. It says later, These are the generations. Toldos always means continuity. Toldot in Hebrew means offspring. It means giving rise to the next generation. Listen well. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth in their being created. That's what the verse says. So Chazal say, In their being created. If you rearrange the letters, it spells Ba'avraham. Yes? Listen well. That means, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth in Abraham, who was the one who began the process. What did he do? He took heaven and earth, unconnected physical phenomena, and he connected them into a process, the connection between the first lot of factors that are factors of darkness, the toyu factors, and then Abraham, Av, the father of them, who puts himself in and starts the connection. If you look carefully in the Pasuk, Toldes Hashemayim Va'aretz. What are the first letters of those three words? Toyu. Yes, you hear that? The Pasuk telling you, Toldes Hashemayim Va'aretz. Generations of the heaven and the earth, Toyu, Abraham. That's the process. I mean, the Torah says it everywhere. You just have to look in the explicit writing of the Psukim and you see this idea coming through everywhere. Permit myself, I'll permit myself one more example. It says that Avram Avinu himself came out of the generation of what's called the Rapaloga. It was a generation they tried to split. You remember they tried to, what did they try and do? They tried to put the world together for their own nefarious evil purpose. They wanted to build a tower. 
Yes, they wanted to build a tower that would reach the ultimate oneness and they take it for themselves. And of course, what happened was an ultimate breakdown. Isn't that what we're talking about? The tower broke down. Everybody started speaking a different language and there was no interconnectedness between them. That's what happened. That's how the world went wrong at that stage. It broke down. And who was born out of that generation? Where was that tower built? In Babel, it is. Babel means babble. It means a broken down place where language... What is language, really? Language is a connection, isn't it? Isn't language a connection? The Mephoshim say that the tongue, even, which is the tool of language, is a bris. Bris is an organ, is an element of connection. Covenant, isn't that what bris means? The bris aloshan, the covenant of the tongue, is in the head, but the bris miller, the covenant of circumcision, is in the body. An element of connection that produces fruit. Here it does it with words, with language, and in the body it does it by producing children. So out of that world of darkness of broken down language, who was born? Avram, a man who was the man of language. He spoke Lashon Kodesh. He put Torah into the world. In Shirashirim it says about him. It says in Shirashirim, Achos Lanu Ketana. What? Achos Ketana Yeshlan. What does it say? Achos Yeshlanu Ketana. We have a small sister. Shadayim Einlad says. Well, who's our small sister? Who is our little sister? Say the commentary is Avram Avinu. Sheicha Esakera. He united the tear. You hear that? Listen beautifully. Shira Shirim, the love song between us and Hashem, it says that we have a young sister who hasn't yet come of age. Who's our young sister? Yes, Achot, our sister. It says, Avram Avinu She'icha Esakera. He took the, he took the, the, uh, he took the, the tear in the world, the split in the world between these two elements and he put them together to make a pathway from Barashis to the, to the end of time. The way you do it, is by making a connection. First of all, you have to go through the elements of darkness and break them. Break them into a form that they can be, the Kedusha can be taken out of them, they can be connected. What does it say by the eagle? What happened to the eagle? What was the right way, the, the calf, the golden calf, what happened to it? It says, Moshe Rabbeinu came down from the mountain, what did he do? He ground it to powder. Yes? It says, Ad duck. He ground it until it was fine. That means, you follow? The way, what happened? You have this element of negativity. While the light is being given on the mountain, at the foot of the mountain, darkness is being formed. The man who gives light to the world comes down and he sees the source of darkness and he grinds it down. What's the word duck in Hebrew? 104. Huh? Let's look at the Mishnah. What have we learned? In many different ways, the same thing. That the purpose of being here, the way to put Kedusha in, the way to achieve wisdom is to take the elements of the world and show the interconnectedness. To build from one thing to the next, yes? To take all the elements of negativity, make them positive, and connect everything together so that there's a logical pathway. Let's go through the steps in the mission and see if we can possibly begin to identify some of that. Shibad Varim Bagelim. There are seven things in a person who lacks wisdom. That kind of person who is raw material. Gelim. That's Toyu, the world of Toyu. The world of Tohu is the world of the raw material before anyone started to connect, before Avram Avinu came and founded the Jewish people who put the connection in. And there are seven things in a wise person. What are the elements of First of all, He doesn't speak in front of someone who is greater than he. What does it mean? What is the first of these seven things? The first of the seven elements is called Wisdom. Of course, it's the name of all seven because it is everything. But it's the beginning of the process. What is Chochmah? What is wisdom? What is the Torah definition of Chochmah? Rashi defines it in Fumash like this. What you receive from someone else. Or what you receive from your Rebbe. What you receive from someone who knows more than that you can't do yourself. 
Until that spark is put in, you can't do it yourself. No matter how clever you are at reconstructing, at building, at constructing, no matter how much you can make out of raw material, but you can't do the raw material yourself. That's impossible. What's the marshal for it? The marshal is that a woman, a woman, a woman is the one who is the best at building. You know the word bina, which is the second of these seven, the second of these elements is called bina. Bina means to build, doesn't it? Boine. Yes, you know that? It's called Bina. Why is a woman called Bina? Why does a woman have Bina? Because she knows how to build. There's a place in Chumash that says because she's built herself. A woman is built. It says in Rashi she's called Boine, Bina. B- uh, she has the element of Bina because she's like a solid building. A man is not like that. A man is wider at the top. This is a deep mystical secret. It might sound superficial. It's a very deep secret. The secret of it is that a man starts at the top end. The heaviness in a man is the spark that generates. It's the spark of Chochmah. It's the beginning. Without that, a, ch- a woman can't have a child. The seed that's given, the beginning of the process, is the width or depth or breadth at the top end. The woman is talented at the, at the receiving end of taking that infinite spark of nothingness and building it into reality. Isn't that what it's all about? So a person who doesn't speak in the presence of someone who's greater means someone who knows how to receive wisdom. If a person speaks, what do we say? The opposite is in a person who has no wisdom. He is in the presence of someone from whom he can learn and he's speaking. He's speaking. Here's somebody who can teach him. Somebody who can put that seed in from which he can build and he can put forth life into the world and he's speaking. Like it says in Aloha, I did the Torid, the Miflat and the Bolayat says in Aloha. Somebody, it says a pot, you know, in the laws of Kashrus, that which is giving off, yes, in Kailim, in the laws of Kashrus, that which is giving off its substance cannot absorb. That's a Aloha concept. That's how it is with people. While you're busy spitting it out, you can't absorb wisdom. So he's silent. The first secret is silence. And of course, myst- mystically, it's the element we spoke once about silence, because it's the element at the beginning of the process, is the element of silence always. Shtika, silence, is always the mark of a wise person. I never found anything as good as silence. Meaning, it's not just the, the meditational aspect, but means that when you're silent, you can absorb. So what's the first quality? The first quality is the first of the seven points. Are we beginning to see how these things are reflecting the pattern of the seven elements we've been discussing all along? The first is called Chochmah. If you break down the word Chochmah, you see that it adds up to Koyachmah, the power of whatness. Yes, the power of being able to apprehend what? Ask the question. Be able to receive. To apprehend the first beginning of something before it becomes something defined. If you really want to know, Chochmah and Golem add up to the same thing. Really. Aren't they reflections? Aren't these seven what are missing here are present here? So the first hallmark of somebody who's working on himself or herself is somebody who knows how to be silent and receive. The second, what's the second? This person does not interrupt somebody else. This person does not speak when somebody else is speaking. That means, what do we have in the spiritual pathway? Always a positive element and then the guarding of that element, not breaking it down. Are we familiar with that idea? You have always a building of a positive element in the mystical world and then you have, for example, you have Ava and Yira. You have the love of Hashem, or love in relationships, and then you have fear. What's the fear? Fear is not to break down the love, isn't it? 
you need the love, you need the positive dimension of putting the love in and then you need a protection that you're not, God forbid, unfaithful to that relationship. Yes, that's another issue, but it's what protects, the, obviously the whole thing, the whole issue is the first thing. The relationship is everything. No one has a relationship with somebody in order not to be unfaithful. Yes? No one, the purpose of a relationship with one person is not in order not to have a relationship with others. The purpose of the relationship is the relationship that's built. But in order to have that relationship, there needs a protective element of fence around it that there's no disloyalty in the relationship. So the first element you hear, you have here somebody who's silent to receive, but then he protects himself that he has the middle in his personality that he doesn't block what he should be getting. While somebody is communicating with him, yes, he doesn't block it out. He doesn't block it out. That's the second. This is also connected to the thing called Bina. Bina means that while he's received, when he's received, goes together with the third, which is what says here, Eno Nivalashi. That means this person is not hasty to give an answer. Understand the process. What's the process? person receives from somebody who knows more. We're talking here, the example we're using right now is just the example of explicit wisdom. This process applies itself emotionally. You have to think it out for yourself. We haven't got time to go through every application. This thing applies itself in terms of your inner knowledge, which is not necessarily the technical kind of things you can learn. It's what you can learn from a person, not what the person says, just from being with greatness in the presence of refinement or greatness. It works on that level too. There's a way of absorbing it and not, inter- not interrupting it there. It's true on all levels. But simply it's true on a level of how to learn, how to learn, how to learn simple things. It's first of all to be silent and listen. And second, not to interrupt that which is being communicated. And third, the person is not panic-stricken to answer. Yes, he's not hasty to answer. What does that mean? What's the connection? What's the hallmark of somebody who as soon as he's asked a question, he answers immediately? Do you remember last week we said that the third middle median point is that which is a balance between the first two. We said that you have a right-hand side which is an extreme, you have a left-hand side which is an extreme, and then you have that thing which is called the fulcrum or the middle line or the balance point, Kabbalistically has many names, that is on which everything turns. What is that thing? That's the element of balance that lets both sides merge. It's the, it's the joining of love between husband and wife in a relationship. It's called das. It's called the element of connection. That's the balance point where both things come to play. The only way those two things can balance out is if you have time. That means if the thing sits with you until it's, it settles into its balance point, then you have, again, let's look at it the other way. It's easier to see in its negativity. The hallmark of someone who answers hastily is a person who is bothered by the question that he wants to get it off him. Isn't that right? Somebody who answers hastily is not trying to answer. He's trying to push the question away. There are two ways to answer a question, negative and positive. The negative way is to try and push the question off. So now there's no question anymore. The positive way is to answer the question in such a way that there's no question because it's been answered. You follow? You can push off a question. Yes, and now the question's broken. You have no more. Or you can answer the question. The person who pushes it away is the person who answers hastily. That's a person who is in, in, in explicit wisdom between somebody who answers hastily. Before he even has time to think, before he has time for the right and left to balance out, before the process has made itself felt, he's trying to take himself out of it. The person who answers with calmness is a person who is allowing decides to settle into balance yes what, what is what is a question what really is a question a question what is a question that has to be answered a question really is an expression of un- imbalance isn't it every question means that there's something missing isn't it isn't that what a question is what the Gemara calls a stira a stira means two things that don't go together they conflict the answer to a stira is what the balance point isn't it but that we, last week we gave a simple example if a person says that the library is closed on Wednesday. Rav Miller gives this example. He says the library is closed on Wednesdays. 
Then the person says the library's open on Wednesdays. You have a steerer. What's the third statement? That the library's closed in the morning and open in the afternoon. You hear what happens? The two previous statements, not that one's proven to be true, they both turn out to be true. And they both form a unit, all three of which are useful information. You have something new. You have useful and true information. You've moved towards MS. That's, by the way, why Yaakov is called Emes. Avram, Yitzvak, and who's the middle one? Yaakov, and he's called Emes. So a person who is not hasty to answer, in wisdom it means not hasty to answer. In deeper pathways it means a person who allows the right and left to find their balance within him. It's this center point we said last week, it's called Tiferes. It's called Pa'er, that which glows. We pointed out last week, it's also, if you rearrange the letters, it spells Rofei, which means a doctor or a healer, because a healer is somebody who balances unbalanced forces. Isn't it the same thing? That's always what the middle line is. What's the next point? Much more to say about it. I'm trying to say just enough that you have, we have enough to work on that these things can settle in, take their time. Yes, you're not hasty to spit these things out. That they have time to settle in until they achieve a balance and an understanding. After that you have like this. Shail Kenya. person asks a question that's relevant. Isn't that obvious now? That that's the continuity? After a person has learned that there's a process of learning, then there's a process of building on the learning and not interrupting it and making the woman's contribution of building from the seed that was given. And then there is the balance between those two. The spark is being put in and it's being concretized in the opposite dimension and those two are balanced in such a way that something's born which both has the spark, the fire of the spark and the concrete dimension of the woman. You know what a child is? The father puts in the energy that starts the process. The mother puts in the technical, physical body of the child. She builds. And what comes out? A human being who has spark of new generation and has body also and the ability to do the same thing only because the two are in perfect harmony what comes next a person knows how to ask a question he asks a question that's po- what does shalke Indian mean a person who asks a question that is necessary to ask now because of the mahalach because of the process that's been happening again what's the opposite let's take it from there to see it clearly what's somebody who doesn't ask Indian somebody who's not shalke Indian somebody asks a question that's irrelevant what does it mean to ask a question that's irrelevant? It means to break the process, isn't it? Here we're discussing something. One of us is learning from the other, yes? And one of us is now absorbing this information. The other one is now building it. A new construct has been built. That new construct, construct settles into its balanced form. That, of course, is new life, isn't it? That's a new input, isn't it? From that new input, a new energy, there's a new building. Out of that new building is a new balance, and it's an infinite process, isn't it? And how does each stage translate itself to the next? We're now in the second three. Remember we said the second three? Reflection of the first, except going out. Is somebody who asks the next question, who takes the original point of perfect harmony and balance and shows the imbalance in it at the next level, so that the answer can again be an input that sinks into balance? Isn't that what it is? There's a great Jew who spoke, who brought to the world a system that lasted for 70 years and disappeared recently. A Jew, yes, who put this idea into the world. I don't have to credit people where they don't deserve it. I'm mentioning names. Is nobody with me? Uh, anybody who knows anything knows that there was a Jew who took this inner consciousness of how things work in the world and he made a whole system of economic yeah, planning and reality and so forth which the world thought was the salvation of the world based on a philosophy, yes, of what's called thesis, antithesis and synthesis, isn't it? Isn't that what he said? And when the world heard that, they went, wow. What a wonderful way of describing the world. If he'd been in yeshiva where he should have been, so isn't that the most basic thing there is in Torah? Isn't that what it is? There's one extreme, throws up its opposite and achieves a balance, and that becomes the new thesis, which sets up its own dialectic.
You are with me, right? That's because we communally understand. <sighs> Obviously. Social Indian means somebody who is able to take that process to the next level, but relevantly, he takes the previous mentioned point in a discussion, or the previous thing that he learned from his Rebbe, or the previous stage of the relationship that he had with his wife, or she had with her husband, and he's able to put in the next question, where do we go from here, isn't it? From here, not where do we go, Stam? What do we do? Where do we go from here? Isn't it? I'm trying to give examples to show that it cuts across everything that you do. It's not just a discussion how a teacher teaches a student. A Rebbe gives to his Talmud. This couldn't be more... This is where... People have a love between them. The love is a love that is a feeding one of the other, a giving and a taking that builds a new reality in both of them, isn't it? And isn't the question that has to be asked at every stage in the love is what's the next step? So there can be a new giving and taking and building? Isn't that what it is? Shalke Indian. The person asks a question that is of the relationship. That is of the very point at which, at, which, at which the relationship is. That will bring in the next. When a golem, somebody who's inter, his intrinsic elements are unconnected. A golem is somebody who asks a question that's not Kenyan. Any question. Doesn't mean a bad question, but one that's unrelated. It's hard to say more. Yes, it's hard to. Meshiv Kalach, after a question, you have an answer. Meshiv Kalach, a fitting answer, isn't it? Obviously, it's an answer that's demanded by the question, isn't it? That's what Meshiv Kalach means. The very word halacha means a way of going. But Meshiv Kalach means that after the right question has been asked, the question that was demanded by the situation, the answer is demanded by the question. Isn't that obvious? You see, what seemed to be seven things that were seven unrelated superficial advices are all talking about one thing. Couldn't be simpler. And look at the next one. He says on what comes first is first and what comes... Isn't that obvious? And what's last is last. Isn't that obvious? A person who has all the elements that we had before, but he has them in wrong order, has nothing. Isn't that right? As we get closer to the end, Kabbalistically, we always get closer to that level that contains all the others. Is that correct? Of course, as we get closer to the beginning, we also get closer to that which contains all the others in another sense in a more compressed and mystical sense. But as we get closer to the end, we get closer to that which contains all the others in an explicit sense. And here we have one that says that a person says first, first, and last, last. That means he has all the elements. Understand what's being said here. This is a person who knows how to receive from a Rebbe. What would be, let's understand, a person knows how to receive from his Rebbe, and he knows how to be silent and not interrupt, and he knows how to make a balance out of it, right? And he knows how to ask a question that's demanded by the situation, and he knows how to give an answer that's demanded by the question, but he has him in the wrong order. What does that person have? Nothing. Because nothing's in order, yes? The very, the very features that you had before fall apart. Then this, the definition of the previous features is that they're in order. As soon as they put in order, they glow into what they are here. What comes next? There's a long discussion that's needed to understand the next one. I'll just mention it briefly. We don't want to keep you all night. Very briefly, as we get further, they get... The next one, very briefly, I don't want to... There are two more, and I don't want to... You, know, to, you have another five minutes? Another ten minutes? The next one says, On that which a person didn't hear, he says, I didn't hear. What exactly is that? What is that? This corresponds to the sixth of seven mystical points, the one that's called the foundation, foundation point. Anyone who's looked or studied any mystical writings will know that that's what the seventh one is called, the element of interconnection, the element of what's called foundation, connection between man and woman, many other Issues, but that element is like this. A person says on what he didn't hear, he says, I didn't hear. Let's just understand this carefully. Let's first of all dispel the superficial, the superficial understanding that should be instantaneously dismissed from your mind is that we're talking about somebody who says that he didn't hear something, he says he didn't hear it, meaning that he doesn't lie. We're not talking, let's understand carefully. 
hear this well. The Mishnah is talking about a Chacham and a Golem, right? A wise person who has all his elements connected properly, that his emotional development is going the way it should be with control, and a person who is unconnected. A wise person of Chachma, interconnected spiritual depth, and a person who is unconnected spiritually. A person who says about what he didn't hear, that he heard it, yes, that's not a Golem, that's a liar. Are you with me? If we hear that, a person who says, he says about what he didn't hear that he didn't hear it. And the opposite, what's the opposite in the golem? Somebody who says about that which he didn't hear, he says he heard. Yes? So what's that person? That person is obviously not a chacham, but he's not a golem, he's a liar. We're obviously not talking at that level. The Mishnah doesn't have to come and tell you that, right? And of course, it's not just a person who says a lie about what he heard. A person who says a lie about anything would fit in. Obviously, what we're talking about here is this. Listen, you have to hear this well. It's subtle and beautiful, can change your life to understand this. When a person says about that which he didn't hear, I didn't hear it, he means this. Unbelievably beautiful. That which a person did not hear means that which he heard from his Rebbe, right? Yes? A person tells you over, listen well, when a person tells you over Torah, when he expresses his personality, if you want to put it into relationship terms, let's talk about teaching. person teaches Torah. What he heard from his Rebbe, he says, I didn't hear. It means, again, when a person is telling you over and he's saying things that he heard from someone else and he doesn't tell you that, he didn't, that that's where they came from, he puts them forward as if he himself said them. Yes? Let's try and explain the words. The words are, that which he didn't hear, he says I didn't hear. In other words, that which I didn't hear from my Rebbe but I'm saying of my own, I'm telling you that they, they're my own. That means he doesn't confuse in his teaching or in his mind that which he received as a male experience from someone else and that which is a female element that's built on what he heard. Are we together? He makes a clear distinction. Let's make it simple. This person makes a clear distinction between the elements that he received from a higher wisdom and the construction that he made out of those elements to get what he has now. In other words, let's take it deeper. That's a person who is aware of the difference between the foundations and what's built on the foundation. Are we together? This person is not confused about what's the basic level and what's the added level. What's the basic information that kept not negotiable that can't change and what's built on that in terms of the construction that he did. This person isn't confused between what came from the father and what came from the mother. Let me try, uh, you might not be with me yet. Let me try and give you one or two simple, simple crude examples to try and make it clear. In every wisdom, stay with me, in every wisdom there are always two elements. There are basics and there is what you do with the basics. There are what's called first principles, and then there's what you do with the first principles, which actually is everything else. The greatness of wisdom is to know that everything that's manufactured from the basics comes from the basics. If you've ever had the opportunity to mix with people of greatness in a professional field, in an academic field, you'll notice that the greater a person is academically or intellectually, the more connected he is to the basics. Do you ever notice that? The greater a person is academically or intellectually, the less the more superficial and the more um, vain, yes, and untogether a person is, the more they grasp at petty details and try to impress with a lot of unconnected details. The greater a person is in his science or his wisdom, the more he's able to show you that what seem unconnected details actually are connected to basics and everything is explained by the basics and that's why they're the basics. Because those are the principles, that's the foundation on which everything else is built. Are you with me? Do you know that that's the secret why the Jewish people are called a house? Do you know that? We're called base Israel. Base Yaakov. Base Aaron. You know that? We are called the house of Israel. Isn't that amazing? You know why? Some of us say because a house has the basic base 
the base at the beginning of Brashis, which is the beginning of a process, which is open to constant, constant, but it has a foundation and what's built on the foundation. That's how a house is. And uh, Jewish people are built on what's called foundation level and what's built on the foundation. And everything that's built on the foundation has to be true to the foundation. Everything that's built in wisdom has to be true to the basics. As soon as it's offline and it's not built on that foundation, it's invalid. Where do you see it in the Jewish people? It says, Kimi Roish Tsurim Erenu, for example. Bilam says, voice, I think it says, Bilam, when he looks out at the Jewish people, he looks at them and he says, I see they are founded on the mountains. Kimi Roish Tsurim Erenu, I see them, what do you say? I see them on the mountains, on the mountains, let's say. What does it mean? Based on the great mighty mountains of Avram, Yitzhak and Yaakov, and the four, sorry, Rivka, Rochel, and I, the four, the great founders of the Jewish people, the four founders, the basics, the foundations. He sees the Jewish people, what's, you know, listen well, the greatest enemy of the Jews who comes to curse them and involuntarily speaks their blessing, perceives the Jewish people, how does he perceive them when he looks at them? That they are founded on the mountains of their foundations. Isn't that amazing? The character, you hear that? That's praise of the Jewish people. Understand this well. It doesn't mean that they descended from those people. Everybody is. Yes? Everybody's descended from somebody else. That's not the greatness of the Jewish people. The greatness of the Jewish people is that you have an Avram Avinu, a man like that, yes? And we are founded on him to the extent that we never waver from what it is that he does. What does he do in the world? He takes the unconnected elements of Toyhu, isn't it? And he puts them together. We have a small sister. He puts together the torn fragments and he interconnects them. Isn't that what Avram Avinu is? What are we? We are people who found it on him. Aren't we people who are following the pathway of wisdom? From one step to the next, in an organized fashion. Rishon, Rishon, Achron, Achron. Everything demanded by the situation. Isn't that what wisdom is? And it's founded on Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov. On Avram Avinu. The one who comes from Toyu and interconnects it. Right? That's the foundation of the world. To take that disconnectedness of the world and connect it in the correct way. That is the pathway, the process of wisdom. That's going from the base of Brashis toward the top of the end of time. There's much more to say about it, but we'll leave it there for now. Let me mention briefly a word or two about the last one. We don't have time to go into detail. Each of these has to be expanded in great detail, as you probably, I'm sure you're aware by now, what we're talking about here is the whole Torah. There's endless discussion on all these subjects. You know, it's not one idea. This is the idea. This are the seven things that interconnect all of reality. Do what Chazal hide in a few simple words? You know how easily you could pass over this? You know how you could pass over this? You could be teaching this to great class and you could be yes isn't that right and that's of course what's done isn't that the tragedy isn't that what's done isn't that how these things are taught who teaches pre-course where are these things taught these things are taught as a very nice sort of spicy sort of little extraneous piece of information about how to be a nice human being isn't that right it's not mitzvahs it's all milita chasidusa it's all things that are that are not basics that's how it's always presented isn't it yes my son if you want to grow up to be a fine human being be silent in the face of those who are greater than you don't interrupt don't interrupt good manners yes you hear this Get things in order. When you answer a question, yes. Say what came first first. Answer the first question first, second, second. No. That's what's happened to the Jewish people. So we've taken the interconnectedness of our f- being founded on the great mountains of the idea of connecting all of reality to make one interconnected reality and we've disconnected. Isn't that what we've done? The final one is called the Meida Emes. Somebody who is Meida Ala Emes. Somebody who admits the truth. That's the seventh one. With just a little thought, it should be easy to put it together. Moide ala emes. Somebody who admits to the truth. What's emes? What's the truth? Aleph to the mem to the tav, isn't it? Somebody admits to that, isn't it? That's what the final one is. What have we been saying all along? It's the process that goes from the aleph all the way through the mem, ends up at the tav, 
yes, and puts it all together. A person is made to that, to acknowledge that. Isn't that the process? But it's deeper than that. As I'll say that this midah, the seventh one, which contains them all, is actually called emunah. Emunah. You remember we said in the beginning that there's a process that goes from aleph to mem to tav. But the process of the work that you do is called emunah. Amen. Aleph, mem, nun. Yes? Amen. Do you know it says that somebody who says amen with all his might, the gates of Shemaim are open to him. You know that? You hear a brocha and you say amen. That's all. You say amen. Yes? To a blessing. You say it with all your... What's the big thing about saying amen? Emunah. Amen is kale melech neman, isn't it? Aleph memnun, it's kale melech neman, isn't it? It's expressing faith. It's the work of emunah. That means when you hear an expression of truth in the world, isn't what a bracha is? You, Hashem, made this apple. That's what a bracha means, isn't it? You are the source of the bracha that's this apple. And you say, Amen. What are you doing? Aren't you being moed emes? Aren't you admitting the truth? Admitting, that means succumbing, bowing down to the truth. Moed emes, right? That's emunah, isn't it? It's the work of acknowledging truth. Acknowledging truth is not simple. I have to explain that. I mean, you can go back through all the examples that we said before and you'll see it. The Baal, for example, when the Jews gathered and there was a massive test at the Carmel. Remember we discussed it? When the worshippers of the Baal were being tested against the true faith of the Jewish people? Yes? What did the people do? They fell on their faces, didn't they? And they said, Hashem Ulaikim, Hashem Ulaikim. They fell on their faces. What does it mean to bow down? It means moedim, isn't it? When we say moedim, what do we do? We bow down, don't we? When we say moedim, we bow, don't we? Moedim, means to bend in front of, means acknowledgement of the truth that I see in front of me. Ayukarim, umishtachavim, umoidim, says, no? They used to, umoidim, when they fell down, they fell on their faces. Moidim means to bend down to a greater reality. It's also the root of the word hoide, which means to thank. Because thanking means an acknowledgement that I need you for this. That's why the mid of the Jewish people is gratitude. That's why we thank Hashem. That means when we thank Hashem, we're actually admitting that this is the truth, and we're admitting that it's not us but Him, and that's how we connect ourselves. The work of it, let's try and explain briefly, just another few minutes. The work of Emona is, understand well, listen carefully. Let's say you have all six points in order. You're a wise person. You have all six points in order. You're silent in the face of wisdom, you absorb it, you don't interrupt it. Right? You do each element, you, you let it sit until it settles into a truth. After that, you ask appropriately from that truth. Then you ask and you answer appropriately as what's needed. And then you have it all in order as well. Yes? After you have all that, after you have all that, and it's all founded on the foundations. That you know what's fundamental and what's not. All six points, right? You know what's fundamental and what's built on it. You never get confused there. Then you have to be Moed Alemis. Moed Alemis means, listen well, when a person has truth, what more could there be than that? You've started at the beginning. You've absorbed the wisdom. You've done the whole process. And finally, you've got it all in order. And finally, not only all in order, but you can distinguish between the basic elements that were the spark that began it and what you've built on that. What more is there? That's the truth, isn't it? Moed Alemis is somebody acknowledging truth, the work of Imuna in the world, just have to understand this very well. There are no words to say this, but I'm going to try. There are no words, there are no words in the world to say this idea, and yet it's so clear that you've, that you've ever come close to this idea, you'll know its truth instantaneously. And that is this. That a human being is built in such a way that needs MS and Imuna. That means, the human being is built in such a way that you can have truth in front of you absolutely coldly and clearly, and you still are free not to accept it, not to acknowledge it. If you haven't nodded by now, you don't have it. Yes. A human being is built in such a way that you can know something for sure. You can know it with lethal or life-giving clarity and you can choose to reject it. Don't we do that all the time? Watch a smoker who's killing himself for cigarettes. Yes. I'll take a crude example that Robert Desler gives. Watch as he takes a cigarette knowing what it's doing to him. Yes. Coughing blood in the morning. But not acknowledging the truth of it. Huh? 
There's two separate works in the human personality. There's the work of seeing the truth and having it clear. That's easy. That's the easy part of it. That's just being intellectually honest, that's all. That's just being logical and just figuring things out the way they're supposed to be. That's not the problem. Let's be honest. What's the problem with the world? Is it the lack of wisdom? Is it the lack of MS? What's the problem with the world right now? Is it the lack of means, of wisdom, of tools of wisdom, of knowledge? What's the problem? Isn't the problem the refusal to acknowledge it? Isn't it? When, if you want a crude example, I mean, a crude, uh, the crudest of examples, I mean, it makes your blood boil. The world is faced, I, mean, I can't help talk, not talk about it, the world is faced with a lethal epidemic, no? with the potential to, to wipe out humanity, potentially. No? Never mind the morality, I'm not even going to that now, I haven't got the energy. But the morality, the, 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 the message, moral, the message, right, isn't it, isn't it, isn't the message Living decently? Isn't that the mess? Isn't that the solution? Isn't that the obvious solution? How, is that the way they're handling it? I mean, it's clear as anything. Professors of virology have told me. Professors of medicine have told me that the solutions that they, I don't want to get cruder than that. The solutions that they're proposing. A big publication this evening, did you see it? The solutions that they're proposing. Forgive me if I don't, you don't mind if I don't lower, my, lower the level of this discussion to. The solutions that they're proposing are not those that a person would rely on if a pregnancy was unwanted. You know that? But they're prepared to predicate the life of the world on those in that. Why? Because they haven't got the guts to acknowledge what the message is, what the solution is. Isn't that right? I once had the opportunity to discuss it with some policymakers in this area, medical, and I asked them why. Why aren't you telling the public the way it should be told? The only people, by the way, telling the public the way it should be told are some fundamentalist Christians, you know that? Look in the medical journals. I've been following the literature in the medical journals. So the medical journals are writing that the way to deal with this epidemic is to do what you're doing. Please don't stop. I don't suggest even to you that you stop what you're doing. Just do it this way and do it that way. You follow. And occasionally you find a letter from a professor of medicine in Bloemfontein. Places like that. Telling it the way it is. Based on fundamental. Why aren't they telling people the way it should be? They've got the courage. They're not prepared to admit this. They, the reason they told me is that we know that's true, but we don't think anybody else would admit to that. And if we told people to do it the way you're saying, to live in that kind of a decent way, with loving, constant relationships, the way Torah says, they wouldn't accept. They wouldn't accept them able to see it. So therefore, since we can't say it, and they won't accept it, so we're telling them an alternative. The alternative is terrible. Hopeless. Siyata Shmai, that's what you need. You know what Siyata Shmai means? It means aid. Aid. Aid from above. So it is. You know, we know all the aids we can get. They're going to get all the aids they can get. The point is that Moedala Emes means the greatness to be able to acknowledge the truth. It's not seeing it and working it out. That's not the world's problem. The problem is the inner depth, the emotional depth that it takes. That the mystics say comes from a woman. A man doesn't have it. It comes from a woman. The depth of Emunah is the depth that it takes to acknowledge, when the truth stares you in the face, to live that way. To do it and to live that way. That's what it means, the vessel that holds all the others. To see it in its clarity is easy, that's not the problem. It's to put it into practice, to live that way. That's very hard. And that's how the world lives. They see the truth and they know it and they can say it to you backwards and forwards, but they aren't living that way. In everything, not just in one example. 
Let me finish with a story that illustrates it perhaps better than anything else can. There's much to say about it. But let me just, time is late, just illustrate it with a story. Chazal said, like as he found it in the Aruch, Rashi refers to it in the Gemara, although the Gemara doesn't bring it in detail. The Gemara tells a story about Emunah. I refer you here to a discussion we once had on Emunah at much more detail. But let's try and explain. You see, the, the, the message to take home about Emunah is that it's a concept of loyalty. Emunah doesn't, you see, we translate it in English as faith. Faith is a silly word. It's got nothing to do with Emunah. Virtually not faith means blind belief. We don't talk about that in Yishkat. That's a non-entity. It's something that has a spark of truth in it, but it's not for now. The point is that emuna means faithfulness. Not faith. Faithfulness. Emuna means ne'eman. Ne'eman. It means going from the Aleph to the Mem to the Nun and then being faithful to that process and going to the Taf until you have MS. Yes? From Aleph to Mem to Nun. Was it blind faith? Not blind. It means... Yeah, the, 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 the commentary sometimes ask a question that what do you need emuna for? You have MS, don't you? If a person doesn't have the whole process from beginning to end, first, first, last, last, all the things we spoke about, if he doesn't have that, he's not a problem in emuna. Problem in MS, he doesn't have a detail, he hasn't seen something. No, they say no. You can have everything from beginning to end. The problem is being loyal to what you see. Are you going to do that in the world? That's what emuna means. Emuna means, again, in a relationship, you want to take it at that level. The, re- the relationship is what it is, and it's positive and it's right and it's correct, and you can see, isn't this where men fall down? Speak to men who failed in relationships. Unfaithful in relationships. Always starts with men. You'll see that the problem is not that there was any... They'll tell you, objectively, but couldn't live up to it. Emunah means loyalty to the truth that you see. It means doing it and living up to it. It's not seeing it or knowing it. It's doing it. It's holding it all and being it. That means bowing to it, being made out of MS. That means acknowledging it, putting it over you, that now you're subservient to that MS. That's him. That's what's hard. Let me tell you the story. The Oroch the says the following story. Just briefly, the story is this. How does it illustrate? How does, the, how, how does Chazal tell us Emunah? Unbelievable story. Each detail here needs to be analyzed in detail, but very briefly. I promise you this is the last thing I'll say. It says there was once a young man who was walking in the desert, someplace out of the Yishuv, outside, in a wild place. You have to know every detail I'm telling you, every detail is invested with unbelievable depth. He was walking in a wild place, and a young girl fell into a pit, a bor. The story is called the story of the bor v'chulda. You learn emuna, mi bor v'chulda. Bor is a pit, and chulda is a, some kind of wild animal. In English you translate it as some kind of weasel or ferret or some kind of... A vicious rodent, or I don't exactly know what it is. Bor and Chulda, wild cat maybe. Bor and Chulda. Huh? What, what part? A rat, Chulda. But ferocious, vicious. Hmm? So it says like this the girl fell into a bor. She couldn't get out. So this young man heard her cries, and he went to see, and he found this young girl in the pit that she couldn't get out of. No one to save her. So she asked him to take her out and save her life. So the whole discussion, he asked her if she was human. Was she human or was she from the Shadim? From the negative... Shadim is there. We've discussed it here before. The, the negative version of the human... Those beings that are connected be- somewhere between the spiritual and physical worlds. She assured him that she was human. He made her take a note. She took a note. He asked her where she came from, her name, his name, the Ulster. A whole questioning session before he was prepared to understand how men work. Understand this. Much examination, many details. Finally, 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 as if that's not enough, he said to her, if I save you, will you marry me? So she said yes. So he saved her, took her out of the pit. Then it says in the story, he wanted to marry her on the spot immediately. So she said, that's not, from what nation are you? He said, from the Jewish people. She said, that's not the way we behave. 
It's not the way we get married. We have chuppah and kiddushin. Let me go home to my father's place, the town I come from, and let me prepare. And you go to your place and you come to me properly, the way it should be, and we'll arrange the marriage and we'll get married. So they made a pact. They made a pact between them. Yes? In that electric moment. Isn't that how it is? And they swore themselves to each other. And they decided they needed witnesses. You need it. You need Adim. You need Adim. And there were no witnesses around. The only thing that there was was the boar that she'd fallen into, the pit, and the chulda, a wild cat or this animal that was running past. So the two of them said to each other, let these two testify to our relationship. That's all there was. With the wasteland. That's all there was. With a hole in the ground and a wild animal. There's a deep mystical discussion about why it's always inanimate or animal objects that are the symbols of Imona. And Chumash, it says, let the mountains and the heavens be mine. Witnesses, not for now. The point is, they made them their witnesses. And they agreed, and they made the pact. And she went off to her place, and went off to his. What happened? What happened? It says that she started preparing for the wedding, started getting ready. And it says that he started with his work that he was doing, and he forgot. Forgot her. Forgot. You knew it, huh? <laughs> forgot. He married someone else. Married someone else. Meantime, the girl was waiting. She guarded the loyalty. Where is Emunah found? It's found in the receiver, who attaches herself and maintains the attachment. And she waited. And many people tried to marry her. And she refused. And finally it became impossible to refuse them, so she pretended she was crazy. She pretended she was mad. She would tear her clothes, and anyone who came near her, she would tear. So that no one, eventually everybody stopped anybody who wanted to marry her. And that way, only way she could protect herself. And it went on for a long, long time. Meantime, he'd forgotten. And he was remarried. And after he was remarried, his wife had a child. And the child, I think it says, a, a, a son. After the son, I think, was three months old, the son, it says, fell into a pit and died. To a boar. And died. And then she gave birth to another son. He was killed by a chulda. And the woman said to her husband, something's going on. This is not natural. Had I lost two children in a natural way, I would have said that it happens. But something strange is going on here. And when things happen to you in life, understand every detail of the story. When things happen in life, you have to ask and understand why. And of course he remembered. And he told her the story about the other woman. And she insisted that he married the other woman. They were divorced. Because that was the loyalty. It's amazing that even, 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 even the one who taught him, the one who guarded the loyalty was a woman and the one who had to teach him was a woman. Unbelievable. And he went back. He went back to the town that he remembered that the girl had said she came from. And when he entered the town, he went to find out where the girl was and people said, you can't see her. She's not sane. So he went in to see her and she was behaving in that insane way. So he tried to tell her who she was, who he was, and she didn't believe. And then he told her that he knew who she was and she should believe who he was because of the boar and the chulda. And then she stopped. It says they got married. It says they had many children after that. And the quotes apostle about those who are loyal. You see, the Chazal bring the story to show you that that's what loyalty is. That's what emunah means. Guarding emunah. Shemer emunah. That's what it is. We are the people to guard loyalty. That's what we are. That's the characteristic of the Jewish people. It's bringing yourself through all the stages of wisdom and then being loyal to it. Yes? Not forgetting about it after you've done it. Not after you've done it and made the pact and everything that has to be done and you've reached that level of greatness and then you live as if it's all irrelevant. 
That's the mistake that we make. Most of us don't make the mistake. Most of us make all the mistakes. We don't have any of the methods, we don't connect them and so forth. But, it does, but the one that's difficult, if you're serious about yourself, that's the hard one. If you're serious about yourself, the others are relatively easy. You can train yourself in the others, but this is the hard one. Emunah is the one, MS and Emunah. The first six are called MS. Those are a structure of truth. And the seventh is called Emunah. And that is the message that we have to get out of this Mishnah that seems so superficial, is when you're working through these seven weeks, is to focus each week on one of these ideas. And in the end, is to put them all together, reconstruct them, put them together, and then finally comes a Shvurs, which we'll talk about in Mitzvah which is the idea, when you get to that seventh dimension, it's not just the idea of knowing these things, but it's the idea of actually living it and actually becoming it.